What's up, guys? Welcome to the Forgotten Jesus Podcast. My name's Roscoe. With us today, <laughs> that's an inside that's joke. An inside we joke that not want to say between takes. Uh, my name's Andrew uh, with Robbie. Do you and even Katie. know a Roscoe? Do you know? A I have Roscoe? no. I don't know if anybody knows a true Roscoe. I thought uh, uh, we were talking you're about a guy. Of Costco. That we, that's probably why we, we just that's left Costco. That yeah, you just left Costco. <laughs> so I told Kenny, in his name, Roscoe. She's like moving Roscoe. on. Moving on. We're not retelling that story. Okay. Oh my gosh. So we are continuing. Continuing to look at okay. the comparisons between Moses and Jesus in Egypt. Ooh, I like that. That rhymes actually. Almost. A little Very bit, good little pronunciation. Bit. A little yeah. bit. I, I, was, I struggled last episode with my tongue twisters. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. TJ's already emailed in, wanted to know if the spot's vacant or no, open. No, it's not, for, TJ. I'm sorry. for uh, taking. <laughs> no, okay, let's continue on. we got a lot of ground to cover, but uh, one of the things we want to talk about as we continue this journey of Jesus and Moses being paralleled messiahs, remember? One of the themes of Matthew's gospel is to prove that Jesus is the new Moses. Right. And so once again, we see it right away at the birth. We see Jesus being taken from... Um, from Bethlehem, where he was living, to about two years old. He is brought into Egypt, which parallels Moses coming from Midian into Egypt. And just like Moses took the people out of Egypt to the promised land, Jesus, in a sense, as a baby, you're going to see him come out of Egypt to the promised land. We talked about last week this horrible King Herod, Mm -hmm. this uh, ruthless, despicable, murderous, prideful king who at just a whim says, you know what? I, I want to make sure the Messiah is no longer alive. Let's just order the killing of all of the boys under two in Bethlehem. Wow. Now, let me tell you the number that scholars uh, have have deduced th- there was. What was the number of boys that died that day or that that, that time? Take a guess. What do you, who do you, how many got boys do you think died? Uh, 2,000. I have uh, no idea. That's a wild guess. Let me tell you this to help you. In the whole town of Bethlehem. Uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't think about that. There was only a thousand people. I didn't think about that. There was a thousand people I in the whole town. I meant to say. Nazareth, uh, two to three hundred people. Scholars estimate there were about 20 male infants and toddlers killed by Herod, which still is 20 more than needed to die. Yeah. 20 innocent boys. Yeah. Yeah. Why? why? Wow. Well, never mind. Why what? Get us off. Okay. Matthew 2.18. I want to unpack what it means when Matthew quotes the prophet Jeremiah. Because this is an interesting little insight here, right? He quotes Jeremiah chapter uh, 31. So, Candy, I want you to read uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 17. And we'll just read this quotation. And I want to show you what he's trying to tell us here about this parallel passage. Okay. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramha. Weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. Okay, Ramah is actually what it is. Ramah Ramah is an interesting city. We'll get to that. This is a direct connection or direct quotation lifted up out of Jeremiah 31, 15. So the context in that passage is this. Rachel figuratively, because she's not living anymore, Rachel figuratively, figuratively, uh, is weeping over the children, her descendants, Mm -hmm. who are being exiled into Babylon, okay? So now remember who Rachel was. She was the wife of? Roscoe. Not Roscoe. Close, though. Jacob. Wife of Jacob, the mother of who? 
Ding, 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 Joseph ding. Ben Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph and Benjamin, yes. So Rachel, another connection to Joseph here. You see this connection here. And so basically what Matthew is saying is Ramah is where she's weeping. Now, Ramah is the traditional site of where Rachel was buried. She, okay. she went to Bethlehem. They were on the way to Ramah. She, she passes away and dies. And so it's a figurative picture of how Rachel is weeping over Israel going into exile out of the promised land wow. because of the sin of the people and the horror, the horror of the day. And once again, here's the connection. Jesus, as a picture of Israel, remember, Jesus, uh, and you're going to see this in a second, is not just the Messiah, but he's a picture of the nation of Israel in and of himself. He's going to redeem the whole world and the nation. So Jesus and his family are being driven from Israel where? To Egypt. And just like Joseph went into Egypt to save Israel, mm -hmm. Jesus is going to go with Joseph, his dad, into Egypt, not to save Israel, but to save the what? The world. The world. Okay. Now, I said this last episode, but let me show you again. Joseph, I mean, uh, Luke and Matthew's birth narratives could not be further from each other. Mm. Think about this. Luke includes... When Jesus is announced in the birth of Jesus, in the praise of God, you have, you have joyful songs from Mary the Magnificat. You have Simeon's praise in the temple. You have Anna's long-awaited song that she's going to sing in yeah. prophecy after Jesus' birth. Matthew, on the other hand, after the wise men come, you have the dawn of the Messianic age with violence, with backlash, with death. Why is he doing that? Well, they have two different audiences. So they're trying to prove two different things. They just have two different points for why they are writing these accounts. Okay, you went you went with the audience. That's true. That's uh, yeah, true. Well, yeah, I always they're go with the to, audience yes, now. No, you're, getting, you're getting good. You're getting good. Yes. The point is, Matthew's trying to prove something. And he's tethering. To, to who? You know, A exactly. different audience. Right. Who an audience, oh, you're on it today. An audience who knows the what? The culture? The exodus. His audience knows yeah. the Luke's audience doesn't know much about no, the Exodus. Yeah. It's a Greek That's Roman true. audience. True, yeah. mm -hmm. Matthew's audience knows the Exodus, and they know the Exodus, the birth of the nation leaving. The, the, the Exodus started with violence and backlash and horror and death and blood plagues. and plagues. Now, here's the thing I think is interesting. We don't sing very much ever the song of Rachel at Christmas. You ever notice that? We're not singing this song. How's it sing me just a little not. bit? Uh, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and mourning. I don't know. I don't know. That's not I, the point I'm making. <laughs> that was bad. That uh, was bad. We'll, we'll leave, yeah. the, we'll leave the singing bad. up to our no, worship team. Yeah, that, was Roscoe. That. that was Roscoe. That was <laughs> Roscoe. Oh, we have a new name there for Robbie when he does the, the point, okay. certain things. Okay, here's the point. Here's the point. The point is, I want you to see the contrast. Rachel's song surrounding Jesus' birth and, and his departure is a song of lament, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. Mary's song is a song of what? Praise. Joy huh? and praise. However, here's the point I want to make about this, this insight. You cannot separate the praise from the pain yeah. when it comes to the birth narrative of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You cannot do that. And I think we tend to do that because we don't want to think of anything bad about this. I mean, this is right. the new found yeah. king. This is a newborn king. We don't want to think bad. But lamenting, in a sense, lamenting as we see uh, this psalm or this, this connection to Jeremiah, lamenting was a part of the culture of Israel. Did you know that? It was a regular part. Now, it's not something we know about today. So when I just mention the word lament to you, if you're listening, 
What do you think of when, when I say you're lamenting to the Lord? What do you think of? Um, I think of maybe processing sorrow or okay. pain of some sort. Okay. Close, but more. Okay. Sadness, Sadness but more. Sadness that leads to doing something. Lamenting repentance. is. Like you're praying? No, not necessarily repentance. Right, let me back it up. Okay, back it up. Let me tell you what it is just for time. Okay. Lamenting was Israel's way of dealing, you ready for this, with the silence of God. Oh. You got to realize the culture mm-hmm. was used to God speaking and acting and working miraculously. Right. He demonstrated his power and presence all through uh, the ages. And sometimes God would be slow to respond. God would be slow to answer. And the wicked would prosper and evil men would get ahead. So what would the people do? They would lament. So lamenting is more than grumbling or complaining, although it looks like it. It looks like you're grumbling and complaining. You ever read the Psalms before? Where are you, God? Yeah. Why do the why are the wicked pro looks like complaining? But here's the difference. I think it's honesty. It is honesty, but it's it, it's here. Here's what I wrote down: It's when you share your heart with God about how you perceive Him to be uncaring and unconcerned with your situation, but all the while trusting mm. in Him that He will do best. Yeah, that's, that's what it lamenting. is. Lamenting. That's wow. lamenting. It's Good. twofold. It's yeah. on one hand, I am. I am uh, in a sense sharing my heart. I'm complaining in a sense. I, I'm, I'm reminding you of what you promised to do, and it seems like you don't care and you're unconcerned and you're not working because I don't see anything happening. But at the end of the day, I trust you. it's it's Job, yeah. remember? Even though he slay me, because it looks like you're killing me right now, mm. I will trust in you. Well, it's Jesus the night before he goes to the cross. Mm. God, yes. if there's any other way, but if not, mm. you're welcome. Yes, turn with me to Psalm 88. I'll show you a great, great Psalms. picture of this. Psalm, 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 no, Psalm 88. Kind of reminds me of Hannah's prayer, too. Uh, it does remind you of Hannah's prayer. Uh, psalm 88 is um, is a wonderful psalm in the sense of it's probably the most impactful psalm we read on our trip to Israel. Vivian remembers this. Candy remembers this. Because it's a psalm that obviously was written by uh, one of the sons of Korah. But it's also a psalm prophetically that we believe gives us a picture into the the um, religious high priest jail that Jesus was kept in underground alone awaiting crucifixion. Okay, let me say that again. This psalm obviously was written by the sons of Korah at that time, just a lament to God. But we also believe it's a psalm that gives a prophetic insight into what Jesus was experiencing and feeling in his humanity in the dungeon cave of the high priest awaiting crucifixion. So right before he was crucified, he's put in a cave, he's put in a jail under the high priest's house before he goes and, and is beaten and carries his cross. So it's twofold, but I want you to hear the lament of the psalmist. So Candy, just read, just read a few verses, just a couple At the verses. Beginning? Yeah, just okay. one, two, three. Okay. Maybe. Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out before you day and night. May my prayer reach your presence. Listen to my cry. For I have had enough troubles, and my life is near Sheol. I am counted among those going down to the pit. I am like a man without strength, abandoned. Okay, okay hold on. Go to verse 6. Just keep, I just want to pick up a high point. You have put me in the lowest part of the pit, in the darkest places, in the depths. Okay, go down to verse 13. Here, here's a lament. 
But I call to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer meets you. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? Okay, that's a good picture of what's going on. So you have Psalm 88 is a picture of a man in God's silence or hearing God's uh, in silence from God. There's no voice of God. There's darkness. There's evil prospering. And here I am alone, okay? Psalm 22 would be another one. My God, my God, why have you what? Why have you forsaken me? Now, in order to understand the Jeremiah connection, we know this from studying up to this point. You cannot take a text out of context if you want to know the meaning, Mm -hmm. okay? In seminary, they taught us this. A text out of context is a a pretext for a proof proof text, okay? Just a funny, it's just a cute way of saying. A text out of its context means you could take it to be a pretext Mm -hmm. to mean anything you want to to prove what you want to believe, okay? We see this a lot on TV and TVN in in, in, in certain ways. But in order to understand the text Mm -hmm. and what the, the, what, what, Matthew is proving we have to go back to Jeremiah. So go with me to Jeremiah 33. And we notice that the first part of this verse is a connection to, I mean, Jeremiah 31, sorry. 31 uh, is the first part, which is 3115. Okay. Okay. It's a direct reference. Read Jeremiah 3115 just for context so people know where we are. This is what the Lord says A voice was heard in Ramah. There we go. A lament with bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Okay, so Rachel's tears, same tears. Remember, weeping for Israel, going into exile. The connection, Matthew says, is Jesus exiling from the land, going to another place, but watch the next section. This is the reason Matthew quotes it. Watch this. This is what the Lord says. Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For the reward for your work will come. This is the Lord's declaration. And your children will return from the Mm. enemy's land. There is hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration. And your children will return to their own territory. Okay, so much here. Let me just kind of unpack it quickly. There's a lot of here to get. Okay, the first thing is this. Matthew is trying to get across to his reader what point, knowing that. What is he trying to say about Jesus being Kicked out of his own land. Because this is Israel's Messiah. You got to think, why is Israel's Messiah being forced to leave his own land? Doesn't make any sense. Look at it in real time. Real time. Andrew, you're no longer going to be a pastor at this church. You're leaving to go do a secular job uh, or you're going to do another job outside of um, you know any ministerial uh, contact with anybody. You'll be thinking, I, but I feel like the Lord's called me to do mm-hmm. ministry here at Long Hollow. Right. Okay, so that would seem in real time like that's not the plan of God. However, what God is saying is just <laughs> like the first Exodus was launched, you're gonna love this, with the nation of Israel in Egypt crying out for God to mm-hmm. respond to the injustice and sin of the world, so is now this new Exodus beginning with humanity groaning for God to fix the wrongs and do something about their pain in this horrible King Herod, there is a connection there. It's a new exodus and it's a new transformation of the culture. The Jeremiah passage is actually hope Mm. from God. Mm -hmm. Here's what he's saying. Stop crying. Don't be upset over the the exile. Just like in the Old Testament, they were upset over the exile. Don't be upset over the exile. Wow. Why? Because you will return to the land and so will Jesus. Now, here's the connection. Just like Moses will come out of Egypt with the nation of Israel, Jesus is going to, by Joseph, come Mm. out of Egypt uh, with the nation. Not the same nation of the past, but a new transformed Israel ending the need for exile once 
and for all. Look what the text says, Jeremiah. You will never leave the land again. He will forgive your sins. Here's the connection. Mm -hmm. Not like Egypt, once a year on Passover. No, he's going to offer this new Jesus, this new Moses, this new Israel, will offer forgiveness for anyone who confesses, and your sins will be forgiven forever. He's not going to free you from the bondage of slavery like Moses did. He's going to free you once and for all from the bondage of what? of sin, mm -hmm. and he's going to establish a new covenant. You see all this in here. Not through the death of an innocent lamb sacrificed on the doorpost to be sprinkled of your home. Right. No, this new lamb, innocent person, will live and die and be raised, and if you apply his blood to the doorpost of your heart, mm -hmm. you will be saved once and for all. Hallelujah. That's some of the yeah. things you see in there. Now, yeah. just a little bit. Just a little, thing, a, little, just bit, a little bit there. In there. But here's the, the, the second point I want to make, and we'll finish with this. He's also fulfilling the prophecy of Hosea chapter 11. Mm. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, Candy. I want you to read oh, this for a second. Okay. okay. Just a second. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. 11, 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Ooh, oh, 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 oh. oh, read that again. Wow. When mm. Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Okay, read the next line. Israel was Let me get, the firstborn. Oh, yeah. Okay. Israel was the firstborn, but Israel's the nation. But he basically saying no, Israel, saying. the nation, mm -hmm. is, is his, his firstborn born son. Child. His child. Yeah. Watch this. Watch the next line just for added okay. input. <laughs> Israel called to the Egyptians, even as Israel was leaving them. <laughs> so you basically, oh, as they're nah, leaving yeah, the yeah. land, they're calling to the Egyptians. Okay, Israel was first called God's firstborn son in Exodus 4, 22. Mm -hmm. When God says, go call Israel, my firstborn son, out of bondage. Yeah. And so, to Pharaoh, because you don't let my firstborn go, the cost of your firstborn son's going to, yeah. you're going to die. So, so watch what's happening here. This is way bigger than we think. Jesus is not just the Messiah for Israel. Jesus is taking on the whole role mm. of the nation of Israel upon his back. Now, that's, that's important because the rabbis in the first century believed that Israel's history, watch this, was always pointing to the Messiah, but they also believed that what happened to Israel was actually going to happen to the Messiah as well. He was going to have to recreate mm -hmm. everything that happened from the past. Now, how do we know this? Just as Israel was led out of, the, led out of bondage and into the desert for how many years? 40 years. Right. Yeah. Jesus, after his Ooh. baptism, goes wow. into the desert for how long? 40 days. 40 days to show he's doing exactly mm -hmm. like Israel did. And wow. just as the desert prepared Israel for the promised land that God would give them as promised for 40 years, Jesus is going to enter into the desert to prepare himself, just like they prepared, by right. humble, prepare himself for ministerial service. Here's what we're going to answer. This is a very practical way to end, and I thought about doing this to help people think through this. What about the innocent boys who died in Bethlehem mm. that day? You ever thought about that? No. I hadn't either until I started studying this, and I thought, that's a question that, that really we need to think about. How does God, in his sovereign plan, allow these 20-plus boys innocently to die that day tragically? They don't have a future. They never go on to do great. They could have been worshipers of God. They would have served God. Uh, what happened to those boys? And here's my answer to that, because a lot of us in here or listening here and even in here, we've gone through tragedy mm -hmm. like that. We've lost someone prematurely. 
Uh, I would just say, as I thought about this, these are the kind of questions we don't have answers to. Um, we all know people's lives who were cut short and tragedies that happen. And so we've all grieved the loss of friends, even in my own life and yours, right. Andrew, family members whose lives were ended. And while we don't have answers to these unanswerable answerable questions, we do know that when we grieve, watch this, the parents of those people, those boys, and us today, when we grieve, what happens is we step in and join all of humanity and creation before us right. who has been grieving for the return of King Jesus mm -hmm. to inaugurate or to set up his kingdom, which he inaugurated the first time, to end death and pain wow. and mourning and <clears throat> crying. And we long the day with mm -hmm. everyone else when we grieve, when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and he will make all things new and he will make all right, all wrong right. Good. Grief, if you're grieving now, may lead you into a dark and lonely place. Mm -hmm. But here's the hope we have. Here's the good news for you if you're a believer. No matter how dark it, dark it gets and no matter how separated you feel, you are never alone because God is always with us. Yeah. I'll show you an insight from the book of Psalms, which is probably the most near and dear psalm of the Christian faith. Go to the book of Psalms, and I want to show you this little insight, and we'll close with this, but this should encourage you. Psalm 23 mm. is the psalm, okay? Mm. We love that psalm. You know how it starts, Candy? How does it start? The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd. Shout out. I shall not want. And why we can I have what I need. Yes, we can unpack <clears throat> the psalm, mm -hmm. uh, and I've done that before, and, 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 and we've done that. But I want to show you an insight that the Hebrew language is drawing our attention to that we miss in English, Okay. The book of the Psalm 23 actually has in Hebrew 57 words in it. The entire Psalm is 57 words. Okay? okay. 57 is not an even number. There's one off. So you have 28 words before and then you have 28 words after. So 28, 28. Yeah. And in the center, you have one word. It's kind of the centerpiece. It's the hinge. It's the foundation. It's the cornerstone of the Psalm. Psalm 23, one of the most beloved, if not the most beloved Psalm in the entire Psalm book. One word in the original language in the center, and it's translated in English as a phrase. Okay. And here's what the phrase says. Oh, I know it. You yeah. are with me. Mm. Wow. You're with me. Listen, gives you chills. The centerpiece of this yeah. beloved psalm is saying to us, whether you're in the darkest mm -hmm. valley or whether you're in a green pasture moment, yeah. God it's, is with you. Yeah, it's good. God is with you. And while we don't know what happened to all of these boys' potentials of life that they could have lived, we do know that every child that died in Bethlehem will rise again mm -hmm. and they will worship the Lord, because it's a Jason, David says this in the Old Testament, uh, I will go to be with him when his infant child died. And we know that because of the hope of the resurrection and the death and the burial of Jesus Christ, who will emerge from Egypt, but not only Egypt, Jesus is going to one day in our story emerge from mm. the grave victorious. And wouldn't they be like Amen. considered martyrs? In a sense, yeah. They could have been. Dying for the faith. Well, a martyr is technically more someone, they would be part of the plan of God for the purpose of God, a martyr would be giving up one's life willingly for the faith you believe in. So. You know, speaking speaking to the guys for a second on this topic of grief, you say grief is a dark and lonely place. I would almost say not grieving, running from grief, mm. shoving down grief, 
is even a darker and more lonely place. Mm. Like grief is a messy journey. But when you walk through that journey and you allow God to walk with you, you can get through the the, the healing a little bit quicker. But yeah. if you're like me and you just shove things down and you avoid it, you know, it's it's even darker, even more lonely than if you feel what you feel. Yeah, it, we've learned um, just through grieving our, ourselves and going through that, you've got to feel mm-hmm. to heal. Yeah. And everybody grieves differently, and there's no timetable or set standard for how you'll grieve. But you're right. You're either going to feel to heal now, yeah. or if you bury grief and pain and you don't deal with it now, it's like burying someone alive that will come back in the future at the worst possible time <laughs> yeah. of your life. That's yeah. what my counselor told me, therapist told me. So yeah, anyway, that's, that's good. good to know. Yeah, good That's good. All right, well, Pastor, thank you for all that, man. Such a rich, uh, just all the connections. I, I can't get over how many connections there are. It's not by accident. It just points back to the sovereignty of God. It changes the way I read the word and believe it in my heart. So, Pastor, thank you for that. Candy, thank you so much. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it with a friend. We love uh, meeting new people who are listening and learning from the podcast. And if you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can do that at The Forgotten Jesus on Instagram. All right, thank you guys, and we'll see you on the next episode.